As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Spin Rate presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. That's right, this is Spin Rate, the Athletics Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice, and we are here talking about the All-Star Break. No, we're not talking about the All-Star Break, although it was a great, a great, it was a great event. I really had fun watching the All-Star game. Of course, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., named MVP, hit a home run, drove in another run after Teoscar Hernandez doubled, driven in. By Vlad. Bobichette got in the game, looked good. Marcus Simeon uh, scored a run, I'm pretty sure. And the game was good. It was breezy. It moved along. And of course, as is tradition, the American League won. Great break for the Jays, who are getting ready to start their season back up again. But since last we spoke, or when, when last we spoke, Caitlin and I broke down the draft a little bit. But we are not draft people. So what I thought I would do this week for spin rate is talk to Jeff Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus, who is a draft person, who is an amateur, uh, not maybe not amateur, but uh, uh, someone who watches a lot of games, watches a lot of, uh, has seen a lot of the players uh, that were drafted. And, and we had a great chat as well about, you know, uh, Jeff lives, I believe, in Hartford or just outside of Hartford. So he sees a whole lot of Blue Jays, double-A baseball, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. So before I talk to Jeff, which I did and i'm excited for you to hear me talk to jeff i of course want to remind you to subscribe to the athletic if you haven't already go to theathletic.com slash spin rate it's the name of this show they'll give you a tidy deal you can have a year-long subscription do that up subscribe to the athletic read caitlin writing about the draft writing about the all-star game writing about the future writing about the the top 15 trade targets she did a ranking of them and Caitlin, as she admitted it out loud on, on Twitter, that if she had put Joey Gallo any lower on her list, she put him as number three, she wouldn't have been able to come back on her own podcast, which is true. I would not have spoken to her ever again. So Caitlin did a really good job breaking down who's out there for the Blue Jays, who's most likely to be their targets, their priorities. Go check that out, of course, once you go to theathletic.com slash spin rate and subscribe to The Athletic. You can subscribe to this show, whether you subscribe to The Athletic or not, Anywhere you get your podcasts, so Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Overcast, wherever, go, subscribe, drop us a, a, ra- a like or a rating or a review. That makes me feel great. 
even when the reviews are negative or constructive. I like those too. I like anything. I like validation. So go give it to me. Give it to us. We're having a great time here. Halfway through the first season of Spin Rate. And we're just past the, the All-Star break, as I said. We're just past the draft. So now, with no further ado, I'm going to talk with Jeff Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus on this edition of Spin Rate. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. All right. I actually have some free time now since we published our mid-season 50 and did all the draft stuff. And now it's just a little bit of quiet. A little bit of quiet. Uh, the draft is over. Like you said, the midseason stuff is over. Minor league seasons are in full swing for the first time in a, in a more than one calendar year, which is probably exciting for someone like you who spends a lot of time um, in the minor league parks watching these guys. Uh, must be, I'm sure, also, I, I think we always bring it up whenever you and I speak, because um, I, I am so impressed, not impressed, excited by anyone who is admittedly outly, outwardly a Sheffield United supporter. Sorry, Sheffield Wednesday. Oh my god! Wow, I can't got, believe this almost got bad. Yeah. Uh, well, you're better than uh, you're better than the than NBC Sports and the Premier League commentary team to just refer to them as Sheffield now for the most part, which that's, is even that, more annoying. That should never happen. That should never happen. How do you feel about Wednesday this uh, this upcoming season? Are they are they a relegation risk or are they maybe looking? To I mean, get up? they got relegated to League One, so we're enjoying some uh, some League One football this year, which will be great. And they got relegated the last day of the season by Wayne Rooney's Derby County, which is just the the worst possible way to go out. I, it had been coming for a while. They had a points deduction because they screwed up selling their stadium to themselves and didn't mm-hmm. file the paperwork properly. So they had to take a six-point deduction. Uh, they are out from all under the financial fair play stuff now. So they have been able to actually make some moves. They brought in Darren Moore at the end of last season, uh, who used to uh, manage for West Brom and was in League One last year with, oh, Doncaster, I think. Um, that's probably not correct. But he knows the league. He started to scoop up uh championship players and premier league players that have been on loan there and are now out of contract. So this, the squad's getting younger. It's getting pacier. They have, uh, they've gone down with most of their best players from the championship. So it's set up that they should be able to compete for a top six spot and bounce back up. But, uh, as a longtime Sheffield Wednesday fan, I never really get my hopes up. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. It seems a lot better that way. Uh, yeah. I'm surprised. I don't. I don't know that I've been following League One and the championship too much. Wigan, Wigan in League One. That's oh, crazy. The last few years, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. They, you know, it's hard with the, when you get. And hold on a second. Okay, now I'm distracted. I'm yeah. sorry. I apologize. No, there's some big clubs down there. Jimmy Flint Hasselbank manages yes. Burton Albion. Wow, yes. that is exciting. He's a hot managerial uh, candidate for a few jobs. Like maybe two or three years ago, I think before he was at Burton. Good for him. Yeah, uh, I got I got nothing but time for Jimmy Floyd and Hasselbank, but we're not here, unfortunately, <laughs> to talk. We, we I could go on and we could go on and on. As as you may know, this was a big big season for me as a West Ham United supporter. Yes. I've been spent. I spent a good I would say forty minutes today trying to plot out what teams could end up in the group stage draw that have direct flights from Toronto. So yes. I'm, I got a lot of eggs in the, in the Frankfurt basket right now. I need West Ham and nice Frankfurt. nice place to go watch a game too. Anytime you, are, you get into one of those old Bundesliga stadiums, that's a, it's, it's a nice midweek evening match day experience. Except for the fact that I would 
force myself to be with the traveling West Ham support, which would be a nightmare, truth be yeah, told. Like sure. all cards on the table. Yeah. Over here in Canada, it's all fun. It's novel. But mm. to be like in amongst the rabble could be a little, little, little dicey. All my, 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 my good friend who, who is a palace uh, season ticket holder, he and his wife like incessantly when I was there and we, and I went to West Ham mocking West Ham supporters incessantly, but also in their mockery revealed them to all be exactly like me, which is really, really troublesome. Like I, I good, like Belgium, I guess there's probably no direct flights to Belgium. I feel like that would so, be a fun away day too. Uh, you can from Toronto, you can fly direct to Brussels, and then it's only like an hour on the train to Antwerp, who mm-hmm. are in the draw oh, that's as a nice well. One so, too. you know, I, I, I was, I was, uh, I'm like, yeah, Italy is a little too far. Yeah, a little too you don't want to like. I feel. I mean, I'm sure it'd be cool to go to the, you know, to go to see. I guess Roma's in the. No, it's Lazio, Lazio, which I would not do. Can you would nope. you not do? Obviously, I could remember uh, who finished fourth. Is that Atalanta's in the... Yes, they are. That's Bless a nice them. stadium, too. Bless them. And a lovely um, I think team. they finished remodeling it now. I know they were playing elsewhere uh, mm-hmm. in the uh, Champions League. I am a... Uh, a if I was if someone was to have a backup team, my, like my, my Italian team is Roma, so I will not mm-hmm. go to Lazio sure. for a million different reasons. Again, yeah. the exposure of... The the also the weird political alignment between West Ham and Lazio is again that stuff I can't I can't get into that I don't need that knowledge in my head. I'm now trying to imagine David Moy setting up to defend against Atalanta. So, oh my god, <laughs> what that would look like. Uh, so par- uh, my my good friend Dustin Parks, friend, people who listen to this podcast probably know well. He is he is a a, a newborn uh, Atlanta ultra, loves it, loves the mm-hmm. way they play. He no, had sure. a, a good post in the uh, in the a good tweet. In the Euro, it's like if you're watching a team and you don't know what, and then you see the best player on the field for them, you don't know where he plays. The an- answer is almost always at Atlanta, and uh, it's almost always true, unless they're Czech and they play for West Ham. The knowledge in your head about European football stadiums maybe the information that I want, but we can do that off the air. Let us talk about some of these new found teens that are within the organization, within the the clutches now. Of the Toronto Blue Jays. How about we start with the, we can start with the draft. The Blue Jays had the 19th overall pick and they drafted a guy with a pretty good handle, Gunnar Hoagland. Hoagland? Hoagland. It's a good question. I'm not sure. Uh, SEC guy. They seem yeah, to love SEC guys. Needs Tommy they, John surgery. Needs <laughs> Tommy John. had Tommy John surgery at this point. So is this a case? I mean, obviously, uh, maybe Alec Manoa was in a, a bit of an extreme example of getting a, you know, two, three talent at the fifth pick. Is this the kind of guy that were he healthy, he would not have fallen to the Blue Jays at 19. Is that fair to say? Correct. And I think there were a lot of directions they could have gone here. I think because they didn't have a second round pick, which they they lost when they signed George Springer, there is value in not having second round pick also means they don't have second round pool money. So Mm -hmm. being able to get a back of the top 10, like I, think he probably would have gotten gone eight nine ten eleven somewhere there in a normal uh draft year he was healthy and continued to pitch well for Ole Miss all season so to get that guy to get that guy within the confines of the smaller bonus pool is and to get that guy would not having a second round pick so you can't really you know get another top 50 talent in the draft Mm-hmm. To get the best single player you can get there and, and, and stay within the slot parameters is a, a really good move. Now, he's a pitcher with Tommy John surgery. And while that is uh, common, it's not necessarily routine 
every recovery is a little bit different. Every Tommy John surgery is a little bit different. They have the luxury to take it pretty slow with him. You probably won't see him on the field till maybe the end of 2022 in sort of like a, a rehab environment, maybe at the Arizona Fall League to stretch him out and then probably move towards more of a normal college arm pitching development schedule in 2023. So it is for a guy that you're taking that was, if he had stayed healthy, arguably one of the most major league ready arms in the draft outside of maybe the Vanderbilt duo. Mm-hmm. Like as a starter, like Sam Bachman could probably pitch in a in a major league bullpen right now, and uh, some other of the, uh, arms who went in the first round as well. But he is a guy that, again, not a ton of upside, but a very I want to say safe because he has Tommy John surgery, but a good solid mid rotation starting pitching prospect, better than you would find at the nineteenth overall pick in most years. And I had so, is that enough of a hedge. No, that, that that is a good hedge. But so I guess you know the, the thing that I uh, I took away from kind of reading about him a little bit, and and as Caitlin and I discussed on the weekend, is his control. I guess is kind of his his big is the tool that's graded the highest. Yeah. Um, and also maybe he's got like three kind of above average pitches, which is yep. which sounds to me like a starting pitcher. As long you know, obviously you can keep the ball in the ballpark, but but those are that's a that's a pretty good starting pitcher kind of opening or starter kit, I guess. Right. It's not a guy that's probably ever going to be, he might get to top 50, but never has maybe, maybe a top 25 prospect in baseball or a top five starting pitching prospect in baseball. But some number of these guys do, because of the way the the pitches interplay with the command and the control profile, you know, some of them turn to number two starters. Jack Flaherty is a good example of this. Uh, Mike Soroka is a good example of this. Uh, those are prep arms and not college arms. And maybe you still a bit less with college arms. You get a better feel of what the, what the college arms actually are. And like you know, Nick Lodolo is this guy to an extent too, with the reds, he's left-handed, which, which does make a difference for that kind of thing. But there is certainly, I don't want to say there's no upside here. You're not going to look at the, it, it's less to dream on, I guess. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, it's not, it's not like Andrew painter where you look at this big, prep arm out of you know florida with projectable stuff and it's already sitting mid 90s and a lot so this isn't that guy but this Mm. is the guy that was a a college performer with multiple major league quality offerings and major league quality control and command it's not i feel like in sometimes especially in the draft and in the first round to call someone like a high floor guy can sometimes be a bit of a pejorative it's like oh high floor like he's this is what he's going to be just based on what you've said, it it seems like, again, that's not who he is, but there is a high floor again, because of those kind of the, that, the way that those, those, the, the command control and the, and the, and the three, you know, good offerings kind of come together. Right. And, and of course the, the injury muddles that some and you have to see how he comes back. Mm -hmm. That's why he was there at 19 instead of going at nine. So that's, that's baked into it. You know, you could have gone, with like Colson Montgomery there and taking a, a, a prep shortstop out of cold weather that will flash five above average tools on any given day. And you're not going to see him until 2020. Oh God, I'm getting old. 2025, I guess. Something <laughs> like that. Uh, but so there, there's a number of directions you can go, but you know, Montgomery was, you know, he went 22 to the white Sox was probably projected to about to go about there and to, you know, again, Anytime you can get a guy, get a talent that is that normally would not be available at the at the place where you're picking, 
and do not have to spend significantly over slot. Like, I don't, I don't know what he's actually going to sign for, but I mean, I would suspect you're not taking him there if you don't already know the number. So. Hmm. No, that, that makes a lot of a, sense. It's a, it's, it's just, I don't like to, like, I hate using the word value. It, I think, I feel it's kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't know, needlessly like depersonal and overly catchy and economic, but it's a good value pick. And at, at, at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about. Anytime you have a, this kind of bonus pool structure that Major League Baseball and the Players Union has agreed to, you're going to have to make these kind of, this kind of calculation. We'll be right back with more spin rate, but first check this out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The player the Blue Jays did take in the third round, uh, Tariq Tiedemann, uh, is is a, maybe a bit more of a project junior college guy. Not yes. unlike uh, Blue Jays uh, fans will probably, I think Nate Pearson is probably the most recent mm-hmm. junior college guy that stick up in their mind. Um, what what do Blue Jays fans need to know, or, or what can they look forward to um, in a pitcher like uh, like Tiedemann? So he is a project. Uh, he's been a he's been a two way player. It's. He's a lefty, low 90s at present. Because of his limited reps on the mound and his general physical projectability, you'd get a little bit more than that. It's an advanced changeup for his age. Like He's unusual in that the changeup is ahead of the breaking ball at present. It's, it's good stuff. He doesn't always fill up. Like in some ways, he doesn't have Hogland's command and control profile. Mm-hmm. And if you watch him pitch, you can see why. It is very effortful mechanics it's not the most repeatable delivery in the world he's athletic enough to be around the zone with the fastball changeup combination which will certainly get it done at the juco level he's going to be a little bit more of a slow burn i think that's one of the other college arms they've taken like i would expect him to go to dunedin to start next season like i i don't know who's going to pitch post draft and who's not going to pitch. Every team's going to have their own plan. Like I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know how much he threw at Juco. And if you're looking at his workload in a way and managing that, I'm most, but looking forward, you know, normally you think third round college pick starts in advanced day. That's kind of the, the blueprint, you know, even a Juco guy, but I think he's going to be a little bit more of a, more of a slow burn. Just the, the key for him is just to be getting professional reps, developing the breaking ball, getting those mechanics streamlined a little bit and, you know, working on throwing good strikes with everything that he has. He's just the kind of guy where maybe it's a bit of a bet on the player development system as the Blue Jays have it. Like, you know, they've, they've made a big, made a lot of uh, investment and make a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, talk a lot about this facility they've got and their belief in their, in their, in their high performance team and all that sort of stuff. Maybe this is a guy that sort of fits into there as like, we can really 
provide him a place to to blossom? Sure. I mean, one of the major changes you've seen, I think, throughout player development within the minors and even the majors in the last five to ten years is that teams are no longer view the the draft as you take the best talent available, you water them for two years if they're a college pick and you know three or four years if they're a prep pick and you get what you get. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like this you know preordained unbeatable path. You're just trying to take the best talent. Teams are really hard to look at what do we do well? Uh, I don't know if the Blue Jays have necessarily figured that out yet from a player development standpoint, mm-hmm. but you know, across baseball, you're like, what, what are the, what are the skills that we're particularly good at maximizing? Uh, can we find players that have skills that already have present skills that we don't think we can maximize, but there's some, some tweak we can make here and there. Uh, Michael Bauman wrote about this at the ringer fairly recently, the idea that we've seen a shift towards teams taking maybe guys that don't quite throw as hard as traditional starting pitching prospects. Maybe they have a little feel for spin and good command and their their teams are more comfortable teaching velocity and command. And it makes sense. It's probably easier to increase fastball velocity than uh, increase general strike throwing ability, at least uh, consistently across a, a larger population of, of pitching prospects. So I think there is this idea that, okay, I, again, I can't speak to the specifics with Tiedemann, but maybe they're like, okay, we're really good at teaching we're pretty confident we can teach this guy a good slider. So that's why. And that's like the mm-hmm. one it's, it's fastball changeup guy right now. We think we can teach him a good left on left slider to give him a, a, you know, a glove side option. And that's like the missing, the missing part here. Or we think we can tweak the mechanics and bring a couple more miles an hour out of him. And yeah, okay. Maybe he ends up a reliever, but now if he's sitting 95 plus as a lefty reliever, that gives, you know, that gives him late inning possibilities. So it is a lot of looking at, and even overarching, looking at the, the Blue Jays drafted whole, it was very clear that they were trying to restock pitching within the system, which is not, uh, you know, with uh, Manoa graduating, you're looking really at like Simeon Woods Richardson and then not a whole mm-hmm. lot of impact arms. And, you know, Hogland, yeah, we say it's not a ton of upside, but a mid-rotation starter is an impact arm by any no, definition sure. as a pitching for prospect. Sure. Um, and if you can get Tiedem into that level, going to take longer, going to be a little more difficult, more downside risk. You know, anytime you can get players with that potential, it's it it certainly can reshape the pitching within your system and the way you look at it. So a couple other guys we we don't have to spend too much. Let me let's talk a little bit about Irv Carter, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the high, uh, high school arm from Florida. Every, everybody saw the draft, the video when when his name was called. Awesome scenes at his place, mm-hmm. saw the whole squad in there having a good time. Uh, maybe maybe afraid of high school pitching isn't the right word, but there's obviously a lot more risk associated with a prep arm like that. But uh, but what is it? What is a what is it that Carter brings that Blue Jays fans perhaps can get excited about? Yeah, I mean, if you look again at sort of the track record of non-elite right-handed prep pitching prospects across the draft the last 20 years, it's not great. Um, Carter, I, I mentioned Andrew Painter already. He, would, he went from the same high school as Painter. So there's always, this happens whenever there's like big pitching prospects because the scouts are in town anyway and they tend mm-hmm. to stick around and guys get looks that they don't might normally not get if they were just sort of there by themselves and they sneak up into the fourth round like that. And mm. I guess Carter was the fifth round, but he's a, 
you know, it's again, it's not all that different from Tiedemann. He's right-handed. Uh, it's, it's good fastball velocity. It's, it's again, it's a bit of a project arm similar. It's a very, very upper body arm, heavy delivery. So I do wonder if they can, they can streamline that a little bit and get the same kind of velocity, but make it a little more repeatable, uh, for him. You know, he's another guy that's going to be, I, I think a slow burn, but you're looking at, it's a good frame. It's sort of a present starting pitching prospects frame. He's still a little room to fill out, so you can see him kind of developing into that, you know, that sort of broad-shouldered workhorse of a of a mid-rotation arm. <laughs> He's anyway, it's a, it's fastball slider at present. I'm told there's a change up anytime there's a prep pitching prospect. I saw Frank Rosicato up here uh, a fair bit and went seven overall to the Royals because he played about a, a half hour from me. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't actually looked to see if there's any scouting reports on this change up. He threw one in the three games I saw. I did not know it was a changeup until I looked down at my radar gun because uh, they just spiked it in the dirt. But yeah, you know, he replicated the arm speed well, so I can say he had good feel for the changeup or some feel for the changeup. And that's just these guys don't throw changeups. Why would you ever? If you if you're 95, and I know uh, Carter, like Painter, was pitching in a fairly competitive high school leagues in Florida. I mean, they're tough. There's a lot of good prep talent down there, obviously. But yeah, he's not going to need a changeup. So that's obviously something to work on. But you're looking at a potential. It's a very, it's a very sort of traditional day two, mid six figures prep power arm. You know, sometimes these work out, sometimes they don't. It's uh, the thing I keep saying. I've been saying is uh, it's more art than science at times in the draft. And uh, but the 2020 draft, the Blue Jays got a bit of a gift, maybe with uh, with Austin Martin, who who I don't know if fell to them is the right word. But uh, he played in the Futures game this week, just ahead of the uh, ahead of the All Star game. I'm not sure if you've got, gotten a lot of looks. I guess he's playing this year in Double A out your way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is this a this is obviously again like a, like a college bat guy who has a big hit to a lot of you know a lot around his his ability to put the bat on the ball. Um, is how, what have you seen in him this year? And uh, and maybe like is is he looking like he's going to be on the move or still a lot to learn at Double A? Uh, it's so it's just an aggressive assignment, relatively speaking. Like it's not it's not shocking in general if a very advanced college bat, you know, top five talent certainly in that draft goes to Double A their first full professional season mm-hmm. next spring. Wouldn't it wouldn't be that unusual? But what would have happened in a normal season? You would have had a full season at Vanderbilt. You would have been drafted. Probably would have had some full season a ball time in July and August last year. And you just would have had a better feel for it. And you would have adjusted to professional pitching and sort of the rigors of the pro game and stuff like that. And he got off to a terrible start in New Hampshire. I talked to a scout that saw him early and was like, I, I don't know what to do with this. He does like, it doesn't, nothing is popping. Hmm. It just, and again, cause it was an aggressive assignment you had spring training and then you had the weird sort of alternate site for a month and then regular minor league baseball started up and it's, you know, it's a weird schedule with sort of the six days on one day off. It's everything's a little bit and having like sat on some of these series in double A, everything is a little bit weird. Uh, it's been bad weather up here too. So there's been a lot of double headers, a lot of missed games. I, I've watched uh, players sort of struggle to get into rhythm, I think. And I, I think we're starting to see the latent ability that had him, regarded as a potential first overall pick last year, come to the forefront now. 
for me as an evaluator, and this is something, it's just like, I hate his setup. I really do. Like the way he starts with his bat pointed towards the the pitcher almost. That's a thing where I see it. I'm like, wow, is he really going to be able to sort of get the bat in the right place as he's loading it? But he does. He repeatedly barrels baseballs. And at a certain point, it's just like, all right, your swing's your swing. And that's what works for him. It's something I do. Like, I like to see him dominate that level a little bit more. I like to see a little bit more. He's never going to be a huge power guy. Mm-hmm. I like to see his, his slugging like start with a four for a month before I maybe <laughs> move him up to to triple a um you would have expected in a normal season him to get there by the end of the year i think he'll probably get there by the end of the year especially with the extended triple a season uh, he was always i think going to be more of a 2020 it's not impossible he could have been up this year but i always thought he's gonna be more of a of a 2022 guy long term he's not where it's again sort of the nature look we ranked him i think 20th on the midseason 50 or thereabouts in the 20s like that's an impact prospect. It's just not the shape when you think of like a, a top 25 shortstop or center field prospect. And he's played both this year. You think of like everything a little bit like that scout said, you want it to be a little bit louder. Like even if he's not a big power guy, you want him to be like hitting a lot of doubles, you know, hitting 300 plus really making plus defensive plays in the field. And he's more of just like a, like a steady performer type. But you know, at the end of the day, if it's, 280 with a 400 on base. It's an 800 OPS that's on base heavy and he hits 280 and he can play up the middle even if he's not going to win a gold glove there. You look down at the end of the year and you're like, yeah, this, this guy was this guy was a 4-5 win player. And it, it never feels like it, mm-hmm. but he brings value in, in so many different ways that go beyond just being able to you know, put the ball over the fence or, or win a batting title. Now, the flip side of that is there's downside risk if that hit tool starts to slide a little bit against better pitching. He hits like 250 or, or two sick or 240, 250, 260. Uh, can that guy still play every day, especially with the defensive flexibility? Yes. But now we're talking about a guy that hits like seventh in your lineup rather than maybe second or third. And it does kind of, you know, mute the, the offensive impacts. So it's, we say there's not necessarily a carrying tool here. There's not one skill that's going to stand out and force you to put him in a major league lineup every day. Everything has to play to projection. So it's not like you're describing at the end here, you're describing like a right-handed version of Kevin Biggio, which is... Uh, I, I Like when I was saying that, I was saying, but Biggio does have, I think, legitimate raw power. Um, mm-hmm. it, it might end. Like I think I wouldn't be shocked if like the on-base percentage and slugging numbers end up looking kind of similar, um, but he's going to do it with with more singles than, than walks functionally and, mm-hmm. and fewer extra base hits. But that kind of like, yeah. And I know Biggio, I, I saw Biggio a lot in the minors. And, you know, he was also an older prospect for his level. I guess Martin is now too with the, with the last year. But I, I, like, I, I'm not shocked that Biggio turned, in, turned into the, what he did. It was probably maybe, you know, he's, he's shown a little bit more power than I thought, like up, in, up into the majors. The batting average is probably about right. It's just his ability, I think specifically, and like Martin has this too, his ability to just stand at four or five, defensive spots just gives you so much more flexibility to get his his bat into the lineup and i know martin's only playing shortstop and center now but i'm i'm sure you could some time at second in the corner outfield spots as well so he could be that kind of like five spot guy where you i mean the, the anchors for me the anchors of the blue jays teams right now are you know boba at shortstop and vlad at first and you just if you got guys that can move around that and play a bunch of different spots and you know, leverage their bats in the lineup and just do like a bunch of like funky things with your defensive alignment as well. Uh, I think that 
that's something you should be seeking out. You shouldn't necessarily like, look, if you can get Marcus Semi and he's going to play every day and be great, great. Dude, mm-hmm. you, you can do that. But having the guys where, even if they're playing, I, I think Martin will be a regular, but like a, a three to five day a week starter and be able to move them around based on pitching matchups or when somebody needs a day off, you know, Boba needs a day or two because he like, He's just swinging too hard and he's tired. Uh, <laughs> it's like that. We need to give him. We need to give him a breather. Like he can go in and play shortstop for you. He can go in and play center field for you. Uh, I think that. I think that certainly has value. You know, is he going to be? You know, is, is it, his triple slash line is never going to look like Spencer Tokelson. But I would not want to see Spencer Tokelson play shortstop. So I guess that's the flip side of it. You got. You got to get. You got to give to get. Right. This is a bit of that give and take. So. Uh, it's interesting to me. So, so obviously, as you've mentioned, the Blue Jays have some real uh, anchors, guys that are gonna, that are entrenched. And I think that uh, a sort of semi-recent trend among the Blue Jays is kind of converting uh, prospect, you know, prospects, minor league guys, guys who have ability, not unlike maybe an, uh, an Austin Martin, um, into big league talent. Do you know trading from some of the depth that they may have built up in terms of player development? And obviously, that's maybe what a lot of fans are looking to, for the Blue Jays to do right now so there are a lot of kind of names that are going that get bandied about and in terms of uh, uh potential trades um there are some that you might see there at uh in, in new hampshire when you're when you're covering uh well they've changed the name of all the minor leagues anymore double a northeast like what double a northeast east division i think yeah. or north double a northeast north division whatever it is yeah. it's the eastern league let's just like the eastern call it, league yes let's it just is. Call it what it is. but i mean so i mean so some of the guys that you might have seen or, or or see, are there any ones that maybe the Blue Jays are would miss? Say 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 the Rangers are like, we hear you're interested in Joey Gallo. These are some of the names that that we would we want to see come back our way. Um, mm-hmm. If it's Jordan Groshans or you know or, or Elvis Martinez, who off air you said is kind of Rangersy, you know, are are any of these kind of players the 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 ones that you you absolutely would not include or is there somebody on double a that you're like that's a guy that would be a great piece to move on or 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 just you know when the blue jays are looking to make maybe make some of these deals what names might we expect to see i guess i don't necessarily believe in the idea of untouchable prospects per se Mm. there are prospects i'd be more willing to move in certain deals and i don't want to say the blue jays have like a flat system but i think there's a lot of ways you could go based on uh, various teams' preferences. So I think a team could look at that double A team and really buy into like Samad Taylor's swing changes. And I don't know where he's playing on. I mean, look, if he can really hit this, you just find a place for him. Like that's, that's the, you just have an everyday second baseman argument. But if internally you're a little less, less bullish on that, you think he just swings a little bit too hard and the barrel control is not going to play against. Uh, better pitching and, and sequencing as much damage as he's doing on contact right now. Yeah, I mean, that's the guy that you look to move. Maybe I'd like, I was thinking about this when you said you're going to ask me, and the guy it would hurt me to move the most right now in that system, I think, is Gabriel Moreno. Hmm. I just think that I don't, I'm not saying he's the best prospect in that system. He was on our midseason 50 until the injury, and because of the, the nature of a thumb injury for a catcher, we, you know, we, dropped him for somebody else and the, he would be in the next 10 still if he comes back he's probably done for the year but i'm not i'm not super worried about that being like a long long-term thing but it's just something you want to see but just man he can really hit and the loss of the defensive reps behind the plate for the rest of the year i think are gonna be sort of the biggest uh the most deleterious effect of the injury 
to me uh, as an evaluator more than I'm not really worried about him coming back. And, and you know, hand injuries can linger for a little bit, but I'm not really about the long-term thing, but just he needs defensive reps. I know they started playing him at some other positions to maybe accelerate the timetable on the bat, but it just, it, it just looks right. I think he's a guy that can really be like 280 to 300 with 20 home runs of the catcher. And like, look, maybe he's not the greatest receiver in the world. Maybe it doesn't matter in two years when he's ready because it's an automated ball strike system. And mm. uh, as long as the pitchers are okay, you know, throwing their slider down in a way and comfortable that he'll block it. And, you know, the arm's good enough to control the running game. Like, it doesn't matter anymore that he's a minus five framer because that does not exist. That is no mm. longer a thing you have to worry about. And you can put your really good offensive catcher that has, you know, can do everything else all right, right back there. I just, I don't, that's a guy I don't, I would really have to be, I don't say blown away, but I would really think long and hard. If like, if I could get them to, to swap in somebody else, I would uh, it's like that general prospect level, you know, let's call it back end of a top 100. And there's a couple of guys that are going to be in consideration for that beyond Moreno. I would, I would just think, yeah, I might rather trade Simeon Woods Richardson. I'd rather do that. And again, it's, it's, you know, maybe a team is really looking for a bat more than a, it's tough to do like pitcher position player comparisons in that regard when you're when you're dealing with these kind of trade packages but i'm just saying like if i if i had to trade somebody that i think is going to be like at least an average regular with serious like you know upside past that like Moreno's not the guy i'd want to deal like i'd almost rather deal with Robus martinez who uh who i like who steve guyvars who's seen him down in, in the complex the last couple of years really likes just because he's so far away and there's a lot to dream on there but like Moreno, that bat's really close to major league ready that's interesting you know that that's something that i know we've talked about on our show a lot um talking about maybe the idea of a, a player like alejandro kirk as a as a more ideal trade candidate while he has shown he can hit at the big league level they have trusted him to catch you know you know the big league big league pitchers in important games uh, maybe there's a bit more risk in the in the kirk profile given his size given you know well his size is a is a big thing but i mean I, I i'm more of a i'm more of a uh there's a there's just a for me and i've said this before there's like a perfect amount of information out there about kirk to really make him attractive in trade to somebody else where when you have the luxury of having a moranian waiting behind maybe kirk is a guy that you're able to kind of dangle around and get something uh, nice in return for well this is always the problem with trade speculation and i know it's middle of july so this is all we're going to do for the next few weeks but you really like the Cubs just traded Jack Peterson to the Braves for Bryce Ball, who has been terrible this year in April. And it's just, I don't know if that's the guy I would have picked out of the, the Braves system for a Jack Peterson rental. I don't know if the Braves would trade me something better than Bryce Ball for a, for a Jack Peterson rental. I don't know what the Cubs individual pref list looked like. You mm. can't, they're like, it's very, it's very, very rare that you, that I look at a trade and say, well, that played out like the exact way I thought it would in terms of the players coming back from, and I'm not even talking about like whatever the Rockies were doing with Nolan Arenado. Like, but mm-hmm. I'm not even talking about like the weird outliers. I'm talking about like a pretty straight up, let's say Jose Barrios gets traded from the Twins. It's a very standard sort of above average major league starter, durable, one and a half years of control left. There's a model, there's like a value model for what that trade's going to look like. You see it, you know, most years, you know, the, the Blue Jays traded Marcus Stroman at, at basically the same point in his mm-hmm. uh, team control. 
and you know got back to me and was interested in Anthony K. So you can like literally look at that like, well, that's the yeah, maybe it's not two pitchers, but that's the model of what. But you don't know what the acquiring team is looking to move. You don't know what their internal evaluations of their own prospects are. You know, the Blue Jays might think Gabriel Moreno is a much better prospect than Austin Martin right now. I I don't have that information. Um, I don't know if the Blue Jays would tell me the truth if I asked them because <laughs> they have, like, that's it. They have, uh, they certainly have, I can I certainly get another team scout to tell me what they think, but that, that, guy's, that guy's not in the room when the Blue Jays go and trade for Jose Barrios. So there's a lot of other things. I mean, there's like the information we just don't have on the players themselves. Also, the information we don't have on how the teams value the players. So I can sit here and tell you that. I wouldn't really, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to trade Gabriel Moreno. Maybe the, the Blue Jays are sitting there like, well, we don't really think he can catch. And we really like Alejandro Kirk. And, you know, we, we value the, the sort of the defensive now that Reese McGuire, but whatever, there's any number of mm-hmm. reasons that you would come up with be like, oh, we're trading Gabriel. His value will never be higher. He's injured right now. We can, we don't, we don't feel he's going to come back from that. Yeah, that, that sets his timetable back. And we're looking at our, uh, at our competitive window for the next like, two years or whatever and like in the short term and whatever the blue jay should be competitive forever at this point would bobachette and vlad just sign them to lifetime contracts now but there's a there's so much that goes into to these kind of decisions and you can evaluate like look we can sit back and litigate relitigate the Barkus stroman trade now if you really want to but mm. you, you really have to kind of make these decisions because there's opportunity costs in all of these right there's maybe gabriel moreno doesn't pan out however you if you trade gabriel moreno for jock peterson like you should have done better than gabriel than jock peterson for gabriel moreno at this point in time mm-hmm. and there's an opportunity cost to only trade for jock peterson so this all comes into the the end like look i'm going to write transaction analysis for the next like three weeks now for every prospect that's traded although there have been fewer in recent deadlines than uh maybe four or five years ago and i'll, I'll tell you what they are I'll tell you what i think they're going to be i can't really evaluate I mean, I can evaluate the, their their present value in in my mind and my in my staff's mind, but I can't really tell you. I'm not a soothsayer, unfortunately. It would make this job a lot easier. It would make it a lot easier. Make it a lot easier to. Uh, they would have you in the front in the front office there in the mm-hmm. in the director's box at uh, at Sheffield Wednesday if you we were able to see the future. <laughs> you could you could see them coming oh, coming man, a mile yeah. away. That would be somebody's got to be in the director's box there. They don't have a director of football, so that's probably, that's probably something they should do at some point. I you you're not going to get an argument from me. I have I have been t- brought along to understand the value of a director of yeah. football. More spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. The only other thing I was, I was I want to ask you about, because I know you and I have spoken a lot about Vlad. You've written, you wrote volumes and volumes about him, having seen him um, hit like so few before. Um, for someone like someone like you, I, I think when the last time we spoke, you had your 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 confidence in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was not shaken. Uh, still feels pretty good, probably just to be able to see him do the things that everyone knew we could do at the highest level of the game, almost in a way that pro- probably even better, right? Like, like you, there, no matter how good a prospect is, you can't say he's going to go and have an 1100 OPS for a full half season hitting 28. I mean, runs. You, you can do it for anybody. It might be, a, might've been Vlad jr. I actually, <laughs> when I published, I think I published, I don't know. I published an eyewitness report or was in my blurb for the, the blue Jays list that off season. I think I I said he was I mean, it's seven hits seven power, and a, a scout buddy of mine saw that and texted me and just like reamed me out. It's like this is the easiest eight hit eight power I've ever read. Like I'm like yeah like I could write that, but I was like no just it's come on man like you got to use the whole scale mm-hmm. like the scale the eights are there for a reason. And he was right. I should have just you know and taken my like sometimes you're wrong and they and like whatever he had only been seven hit seven power. I read him at eight. It wouldn't matter. I just. I get why he may have been, I don't want to say, uh, why people were quicker to kind of sour on him than they might have been with a with a Fernando Tatis Jr. type just because he really, given the profile, had to hit. Mm-hmm. But he was an above average hitter mm-hmm. <laughs> his first two years in the majors at 21 and 22. And 20 and, and 21. 20 and 21, you're right. Those are incredibly good markers for future success. And yes, he hit the ball on the ground a little bit too much. You also have to keep in mind his age 21 season was in the middle of a global pandemic mm-hmm. where they were not playing home games and you're playing in a completely different park with a weird travel schedule. So it just like, you really got to throw 2020 out in a lot of ways. And I think we've seen that in a lot of cases uh, with 2021 performance. So what you really have is a half season of him adjusting to major league pitching as a 20 year old and being an above average hitter. Now, did I think he would immediately come out and hit 340 with 50 home runs? I mean, if I actually thought that I would have written him as eight hit eight power, but <laughs> yeah, it's like, you can't like, he is not like, there are a lot of guys where I really have to have sit and have a think, or even if I see them for three, four games a week where it's like, okay, what, what is this guy really? Is he going to be able to hit major league breaking stuff like the slider down and away, right, right on right? Is he really a shortstop? Does he do everything well enough? Can you position him? And you know, is he like, all right, you know, like is he's a fifty-five? I'm gonna say the fifty-five. Like I don't feel great about it. I could if you told me it was a six, that's fine. Like the Vlad Jr. It's like two at bats. You're like, okay, this is one going to be one of the best hitters in baseball. Like it just, it's it's the text. The text is right there. Just 
right? And the scout also said to me, like the shortest reports you write are eights and twos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's true. And it's, it's, it's rare too. And I think that, uh, I hope everybody, I think the, the all-star game was a great example of him on a big stage with everybody watching and, and even the other players just being able to like, like revel it and enjoy it. Like it's rare. It's rare that a guy comes in and looks the part and then every, all, every piece of the performance um, aligns up with it where the power is to all fields and he'll spit on anything and, uh, and he looks great doing it. So like eight, 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 yeah. eight, eight, eight. And, and again, like, like in, in some ways I enjoy watching Boba shed at the plate more because it's like, it's, it's like funky. It's like, like it's probably like a weird hipster thing, right? It's, <laughs> It's novel. It's a bit more it's novel. No, it's a bit more novel. It's it doesn't always like doesn't look right. So it's like difference between I don't know. It's like he's like Vlad's like I don't know. I'm not like I'm trying to think of like a huge like big concert I would have like wanted to see like at the, so like Vlad's like Blondie right? You go and see Blondie at the height of their powers at CBGBs. This is still kind of a fairly obscure reference. But <laughs> yeah. and, and, and like I know in Boba Shett's like you catch a weird Jonathan Richmond Modern Lovers night at like a cafe. Mm, okay, yeah. I, I get yeah. I get that. I get just, like it looks a little like just everything's a little a little weird, and you might just that might really look bad. Like he might you might see him for two games, and he goes. Oh, for eight with a walk and, and three strikeouts, and he's just absolutely <laughs> trying to dig out this slider down and away. He's and 0, then, for, 0 and two in every single. Oh, yes, <laughs> and he's not like a guy that's going to work his way back. It's not a good like. It's not a bad two strike approach in short time. But it's like okay, like you threw me a fastball ninety eight out of the zone. I swung and missed. You threw me another fastball ninety eight out of the zone. I swung and missed. You're gonna throw it even higher this time. I'm just gonna hit it off the green monster and it's just me like yeah try it again like it's not gonna like i'll figure it out <laughs> and i'll like i'll like be falling over the plate hitting the ball to the freaking beach at dunedin it's just it's like and again that's a swing like lab swing is is leveraged and you know it's not maybe traditionally pretty and like you know a right-handed swing is traditionally pretty per se but you i mean you get it but like Bo, it's just like, yeah, you would never like, what are you doing? Who taught you to do that? But <laughs> it like, it's like a full bat wrap and he almost does an arm bar and he's very like up, almost like up on his toes and just like, he's like, it's like a caber toss almost or like a hammer throw. He's like, almost like he's doing a hammer throw when he's batting, mm-hmm. but it's, and it's like, and he's like hitting like 290. It's not even like he's striking out a ton. Like he's, he still hits singles. It's, it's, it's wild. I just and, love watching. He's a better shortstop than I thought he'd be too. Like I thought he could play there, but he gr- he just grinds it out. It's so, and the aesthetics are obviously great too. Mm-hmm. But just everything, like everything about him. I think he's listed at like six foot one eighty. I don't think he's either of those things. And he just absolutely yokes baseballs. It's great. He really has impressed me personally with his right field approach. Like there'll be times when he, yeah. when he goes up and he's like, I'm going to hit the ball to right field here. And it's after one pitch, it's clear as day. Like that was his plan in the dugout, in the on-deck circle, and he gets in there, but he does it. And then he, it, it, the other thing that I've been really impressed with is his power to right center field. Like the ability to go up there with that plan and then I'd be like, I'm going to drive that baseball way the hell out there to the alley. And like like you said, he's like, you know, six feet, 180 soaking wet with bricks and like standing on bricks. But like, it, it's no joke power out to that to that alley in right center. You say he doesn't have a good approach, and like, look, it's not you know he's not Kevin Euclid up there by any stretch of the imagination, or Brandon Nemo. But 
the bat speed that he has and the combination of that and the barrel control, despite the length and the swing, allows him to decide to swing very late and still authoritatively drive the ball the other way. So he can wait and decide. He doesn't always make the best swing decisions anyway, but mm-hmm. he can decide to, you know, okay, that's a fastball. All right, fine. Like it's Nathan Avaldi at 98, but I can still, I can still get there. I can hit hard to right field because I just have that level of obscene bat speed. And whether it's up in the zone or down in the zone or the little cutter running away from me, I can, I'm confident I can hit it. And like, look, he's again, he's going to look bad up there a lot, but I would almost be like, in certain situations, I'd almost rather pitch to Vlad because I feel like I could pitch around him a little bit. Like I can, mm-hmm. I can maybe get hit. Like, like, look, if I, if I miss, it's going to go a long way. Um, but I might be able to get him into a bad count or maybe he fouls one off and I can get him to nibble a little bit or roll over one. Like I could throw the worst O2 pitch in the world and Bichette might hit it for a double. And that would, that would like be in the back of my mind. Like how good of a weight, like, what do I do? And like, I guess I should just throw a good slider down and away to him O2, but that would just like be in the back of my mind. Like, is he just going to gulp this into right field? And sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't, but yeah, he's, he's always been fun to watch. I think I may have told this story on the podcast before, or maybe a different one. I certainly told it on mine, but when I saw them on, uh, saw them in Hartford, uh, Vlad was hitting behind Bichette and, Bichette actually worked this like a bat against this like kind of nondescript lefty middle reliever in the seventh inning of a double A game. And he, you know, fouled a couple like little change ups down and away off, got to three, two, drew a walk, like a seven or eight pitch at bat. You know, I don't think it was a particularly high leverage situation or anything. It just, I, I think I'd already done most of my notes on these guys. And I'm watching Vlad watch it in the, in the on deck circle. I think I got put like two guys on. I'm like, oh God, I know exactly what's going to happen here. He's going to zone a fastball and hit it out of the stadium. And he zoned a fastball and hit it out of the stadium. And you can't, <laughs> you can't, like, it, you can't really teach that either. Like, he just watched the previous at bat. It's like, okay, this guy's struggling a little bit. He's nibbling. There's guys on now. I'm just going to swing out of my shit. Like, he's going to, if it's close to the zone, I'm crushing it. And, you know, he can go and do that too. Um, you know, it's very much, this is sort of the cliche comp, but it's, you know, if it was Vlad Sr. with a better approach and, Man, that guy's a Hall of Famer, and you don't yeah. comp Hall of Famers. And I, I mean, by the same token, Vlad Senior never had a season like this. No, nope. I don't know if he's going to do it for the whole year. I don't know if this is just going to end up being the best season of his career, but he never had a season like this, and that's wild. It is wild, and and seasons like this don't come around that often. And the best part about it is, well, from Blue Jays' perspective, is there's not nothing about it seems fraudulent. Nothing about it seems no, fake. Yeah, it's right. Uh, you, you're he, like, well, you know, he might be a little bit like, like maybe he's really a true talent, one thousand OPS guy that's having a better season than that. But like, it's not. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. He's, he's, he's only like three twenty. He's only like a three twenty four hundred six hundred hitter, really. So, that, that, which that. you know, you you take you take it if you have to. Yeah. If, if 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 forced, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if you know, you got me. You twisted my arm. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Tell the people where they can find you and what they can look for uh, from you coming up maybe the rest of the week. So I am I write a baseball prospectus where I'm the lead prospect writer. Uh, I am I read a, wrote a Jaron Duran call for a game that didn't happen. 
Uh, I did do, I don't do a lot of draft coverage. Keenan Lamb's our senior draft writer. You know, he did our big board chats. He's doing he some draft recap stuff coming. I did try to kind of peg where each of the first round picks will be ranked in their system. I now forget where I, what I said for Gunnar Hogland, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I think I should have looked at before. I did this podcast hit, but not number one. Like, I think I said like fourth to seventh or something like that. The injury does make it difficult. Um, uh, my editor, Craig Goldstein, has already reminded me that I was going to write a, a piece uh, off the midseason 50 list that went up on Friday that you can also see. It's still evergreen content. I know it feels like between the Futures game and everything else that it already, like every list we put out already feels old 24 mm. hours after it came out, let alone, I guess, 96, 120 at this point. Oh, almost a full week, whatever, however many hours that is. I never know what day it is at this point either. You work um, in baseball. That's part of the deal. Part of it. You can, so you can check that out. Um, I theoretically might write a piece tonight still because I don't go to bed until like 3 a.m. But it'll be players that uh, I call them. Oftentimes I get, I get chat questions about a player that missed the midseason 50. I'll say, well, he's a top 101 guy, but he's not a midseason 50 guy. So I'm going to write about some top 101 guys, but not midseason 50 guys. Uh, if it doesn't go up tomorrow, it'll go up next week. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostra. You can do that. And I... Well, often, uh, well, what am I trying to say? I want to say have a great night. And I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to join us on this post-draft edition of Spinning.